I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. It's time now, if you would indulge me, for a different kind of diagnosis, one of a sickness that is even more pervasive than COVID-19. I want you to witness the virulence in real time. President Trump holding a rally that represents everything experts that he picked say not to do. The negation of everything you just spent an hour with Sanjay and Anderson hearing about as helpful and necessary. It's going to a state with rising cases that just saw its largest single day jump in cases. A state where the health experts are worried about a mass unmasked gathering. And he is going to do exactly what creates the most risk there. Masks, optional. Social distancing, optional. Please come. All of you come. Let's have a huge crowd. But Trump is asking everyone who enters to support him to sign a release that he is not responsible if anything happens as a result of everything he's asking them to do for him. He asks you to come to what he knows he shouldn't, tells you the only things that help are optional, and then wants you to make sure he has no responsibility. In this, you have the perfect example, a metaphor of the malady and of the madness that has made a mockery of the Trump presidency. One set of rules for the Donald, another for you. Another example, look what happens around him in the White House. Oh, there are a couple of cases. Everyone wears a mask. Everyone gets tested. All cases are traced thoroughly, but not for the rest of you. Those he looks down upon at a rally or just living in this country, no need to be careful. That's weakness. His presidency is riddled with his own self-interest. He literally went to the Supreme Court hoping for a ruling that Obama was wrong to help dreamers the way he did and thought they would just miss the fact at the court that he has no plan to help them, even though he promised to. He lost at the Supreme Court again. Why? Because in America, rules matter. In America, we surrender the me to the we. In America, the highest interest must always be justice, not just Trump. Trump called the defeat a shotgun blast to the face. This, the same man who said all this. We are going to deal with DACA with heart. I have a love for these people. We want DACA to happen. Lies. Period. He wants to kick more than 200,000 frontline workers, including 27,000 who are in healthcare, out of the country in the middle of a pandemic. Why? Because he thinks it will be a promise kept to his base. But his presidency and its marginal popularity is proof you can no more cater to just a base than you can hope to win again by just being base, by dividing lying, and defying the command of leadership and responsibility that falls squarely on the shoulders of the highest leader in the land. And taking responsibility is just something this administration and this man refuse to do. Another example, 
The administration refuses to take responsibility for the growing number of coronavirus cases. And by the administration, I mean the president. He looks at the map that you see and he says, not me. Again, why? Because the president sees reopening as good for him. Reopening at any cost so that it doesn't cost him. But the truth is evident in the pain. Hospitals are filling up at critical rates. The hurt as another 1.5 million of our brothers and sisters find themselves out of work. And the numbingly harsh coronavirus death tolls. The deaths that this president doesn't even talk about anymore. Today's Supreme Court decision, along with the earlier one this week to protect LGBTQ workers from discrimination. Remember, he promised to be a champion for that community. It's all proof that he has never been about fairness for any group that doesn't favor him. But a president must fight for fairness or fail. And Trump's stubborn silence on systemic bias has been stunning as we see streets filled all over this country with those who demand better than his deference to division and his obvious and ugly attempts to play you as Americans for fools. The man who planned a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the site of a horrible massacre on Juneteenth, and then refused to acknowledge what sent so many to the streets. Now he wants you to believe that he did a good thing. He made Juneteenth famous. He made Juneteenth famous. That, quote, nobody had ever heard about it until now. So he thinks his rally schedule was a good thing. But here's the truth. You know who had no clue about Juneteenth? Him. He admitted they didn't think about it when scheduling the rally because he'd never heard of it. And his people had to tell him they'd put out statements marking the day before this year. Too many are now painfully aware of his ignorance and his arrogance. And that is the deadliest and most dangerous combination in leadership, ignorance and arrogance. Like when he said he did us all, including President Obama, a favor with the birther bigotry. Or his latest propaganda. Did you see this? Garbage. An inverted triangle symbol. Gee, where have we seen this before? Oh, right. The Nazis used it to mark political opponents. These are all symptoms of what ails Trump's administration. All the dog whistles, all the injustice, all the irresponsibility, all the division. It's all about him and his, not about you, not about yours. This is a truth laid bare by John Bolton's book with claims Trump asked for China's help with re-election, that he said to China it was okay to build internment camps for Muslims. He defended the murder of a journalist to cover for his daughter. Why? Because he wants to serve a second term. And he even thought invading Venezuela would be cool. That's his word. That's what Bolton says in the book, and that's why it's racing up the Republicans' do-not-read list faster than POTUS's Twitter feed. It's a story we've heard time and time again, what Bolton says. John Kelly, Jim Mattis, a truth that is painfully obvious to anyone if you have an open mind. 
The only question is whether what got him here will get him to another term. And here's the good news. He can't control that. Only you can. Just see the situation for what it is. And with that, we turn to what we have to focus on right now. Several new developments from Atlanta after the police killing of Rayshard Brooks. More than 24 hours after telling the world that fired officer Garrett Rolfe could face a possible death sentence if convicted, he now insists that's something he was never looking for, the prosecutor. Listen. Well, I, I think it's clear that uh, we're not asking for the death penalty. Uh, we simply cited that because statutorily, that is one of the possible sentences. Uh, but we're not seeking the death penalty. I don't think anyone rationally expected that we would ask for the death penalty in this case. The language should have never been dangled out there then. And similarly, D.A. Howard maintained that the other officer charged, Devin Brosnan, is willing to turn state's witness. That directly contradicts what his defense team told you right here last night. A short time ago, after posting bond, Brosnan broke his silence about the shooting. I have full faith in the criminal justice system. I think this is a tragic event, and uh, it's totally a total tragedy that a man had to lose his life that night. I felt he was friendly. He was, he was respectful. I felt like, you know, he seemed like someone who potentially needed my help. And I was really just there to see what I could do for him and make sure that he was safe. All right. So let's take a look at the state of play in this case. Let's bring in our legal and law enforcement experts, Joey Jackson and Charles Ramsley. Gentlemen, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, Charles, let me start with you uh, quickly here. I don't want to unfairly paint the prosecution. Uh, the death penalty option was put out there as a possibility by them. Brosnan being a state witness was put out there by them. This prosecutor was on TV before charges were filed, signaling that charges were in all likelihood coming. And that is something we rarely hear from a district attorney in this situation at all, let alone in advance. Any concern about politics creeping into the performance early on? Well, I don't know if it's politics or not, but certainly this moved very fast for the uh, criminal justice system as it relates to dealing with police officers. I've had cases that have gone on for a year or two, and I'm certainly not saying that it should take that long, but I am saying that it's been, what, a week, if that, if that long? Uh, and when you move fast like that, uh, sometimes you can make uh, mistakes. I, I agree with you, they never should have dangled that language out there because there are people that then start looking for that as a possible outcome. Mm. And I never thought that it was even remotely possible that it would end up as a death penalty right. uh, case personally. Uh, uh, Joey, explain to people why it was in the realm of possibility in context of the charge and why you believe or don't believe that it will be in play. So I see things another way. I don't think it's irresponsible on his part. I think it was responsible on his part to give people the sense of what the statute provides. He's charged with felony murder. What does that mean? It means that in the commission of a felony, someone died. What is the underlying felony? Aggravated assault. A prosecutor, you want to let people know what is, as you mentioned, Chris, the state of play. The charge that he has called for provides for, if it is pursued, the death penalty. Could he have clarified and said at the the press conference were not seeking it. He did not. But at the same time, he let people know what the deal was. So to the extent that he was informing and informational, I think it was appropriate that he said so. As to the other issue, briefly, if I can, you mentioned him dangling also 
the you know the other one was going to the other officer was going to cooperate he wasn't for all we know the other officer's lawyer could have gotten to him and shaken him and said what are you talking about i think you have a viable case let's take that back let's walk that back so we don't know what happened all i can tell you is when we saw the press conference i thought that that mr howard laid out the facts he laid out the law and he laid out the policy as it relates to not shooting a taser from someone you know you can't shoot a taser somebody's running away much less a gun he said that right. you have to render aid. he said that and so there were a lot of things i think he mentioned that were very responsible and in light of that i think that you have to inform the people and be transparent that's right. very important charles what's your take on what we're hearing about officers in atlanta um seemingly protesting in their own way uh, by not showing up for duty, not returning calls. The mayor in response now, uh, or the municipality at least, is giving bonuses. They're saying it was about, uh, you know, all the extra duty during protests, but it could also be seen optically as kind of paying them to come and do the job they're already getting paid to do. What's your take on it? Well, you know, listen, this is a tough situation for police across the country. I do not agree that officers should not come to work. I mean, this isn't pro bono work. You do get paid to do this and you have an oath that you've taken and you have a responsibility that goes along with that. Having said that though, I think it's important that we think about, uh, we need to have balance when we're talking about policing in this country. The last month almost has been very, very negative to a point where in some instances, it's almost as if police are being demonized as a, as a group. Uh, and we have to be a little careful because it is demoralizing. It does, I think, uh, wear on officers, not just in Atlanta, but across the country. So uh, you, these police chiefs have to hit these roll calls, have to talk to the men and women, uh, keep their morale up as high as they can, get them out there doing their jobs. If they do their jobs properly, they have nothing to be concerned about. If they don't, or if they're one of these people like we saw in both Minneapolis and Atlanta, yeah, you've got a problem. And so uh, I think we just need to make sure that they have the balance they need so they can continue to get out there and do their job. And if I could just say one more thing about the, the, the prosecutor, my whole point was that in a, this is a heightened emotional state. Words matter and you have to be very careful. If you knew from the beginning you weren't going to seek a death penalty, then either don't throw it out there or throw it out there and then say, but that's not where we're going. Because people have unrealistic expectations when something like that is thrown out in this current state that we're in right now. Fair. So let's do this. Let's take, uh, let's take a quick break. And then, gentlemen, please stay with me because let's take on the really hard part of this conversation, okay? There are arguments that will be made that may make convictions difficult in this case for both officers. I know a lot of people don't see it that way, but we're doing a disservice if we don't run the analysis all the way through. So let's take a break. We'll come back and we'll go through what may well happen at trial. Next. In the Rayshard Brooks case, things have moved very quickly from the policing and prosecutorial perspective. However, you got to be reasonable or you have to be at least aware of what is to come. Garrett Rolfe, the officer uh, who was fired, uh, his case, while there are charges, probably won't be presented to a grand jury before January. Now, he's in custody tonight, but has already been moved from the Fulton County Jail to another facility for security reasons. He's going to have to wait a long time uh, to learn his fate. Prosecutors are going to need to build a case. And this is the part I want to discuss with you. This is not a case against citizens. The standards are different. The defense arguments and the ability to justify action 
is also different because these are police officers. And that's not to say that they get a break. It's a different standard under the law. Let's look at this with Joey Jackson and Charles Ramsey. I couldn't ask uh, for better guests than this. Now, uh, let's start with the lesser charges against Brosnan, okay? Joey, Brosnan's defense is going to be, look, I gave the guy a break. I talked to him for a while. When he made the choice to start fighting me and start kicking my ass, I fell and whacked my head. Next thing I knew, he had my taser. And I was like stumbling around trying to figure out what's happened. I heard gunshots. I didn't even know who was shooting. I ducked behind the car. Then I look up. I see the guy on the ground. I run over, make sure that he's not still a threat. As soon as I perceived that, I did start giving medical aid. In fact, everybody else showed up and I kept giving medical aid, even in the ambulance. How am I getting charged? How potent is that? I think it's very potent, uh, uh, Chris, and you lay out certainly what the case will be for the defense. And I think it's important in speaking about this to go back very briefly uh, to what the chief said. This is not about demonizing police. Police serve us every day and twice on Sunday. We're grateful for that. We salute you for that. And may you continue to Amen. do it in God you. What we are looking at here is something that is potentially criminal. I say potentially because there will be a trial in the event it goes that far and people who do things like kill people when it could be avoided need to be held accountable. So to your point, yes, there will be the argument as you just laid out, but there's also the adverse side of that. And the adverse side is having an obligation to preserve life. The adverse side is that you communicated with this person and you recognized during that communication that he was complying. You had an obligation to tamp things down. You tried to then put him in cuffs and he did not comply with that. Thereafter, what happened was really serious, really unfortunate, a tragedy, and unlawful, we'll say the prosecution. Why? You weren't in immediate fear of anything. You weren't in immediate fear. You had his car. You were not in immediate fear. You had his license. He fired a taser. You know that a taser, number one, under policy, is not a deadly weapon. Number two, you also know that if someone's running, you can't even fire your taser at him. So why would you fire a gun? And to the extent that you have him, if you're the other officer, not Rolf, who did it, but the other officer, why do you then stand on him thereafter? Why do you then not render immediate aid thereafter? You're trained to do it. You failed in doing it. You have to pay the consequences for not doing it. Guilty. That'll be the argument. Charles, uh, now in policing, uh, the man was definitely running away or was he? Right. They will offer the argument that no, 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 no. He was running, but he turned and he pointed and he fired and we saw the taser discharge. And now Joey's definition must be changed. The taser in the hands of the untrained user can be a dangerous weapon. And that's why I had to switch from my taser to my weapon, my pistol, and fire at him even from behind because he wasn't really from behind. He had turned and I was afraid he could really hurt me with that thing. How does that stand up to training, practice, and practicality? Well, you got two problems here. The first is that early on in the encounter, uh, when uh, Mr. Brooks first gets out of the car, he's asked if he has any weapons on him. He says no. Then he was asked if it would be okay if he got patted down. Mm -hmm. He complied. He was patted down. At that point, you know he doesn't have a firearm. Uh, or a knife or other type of deadly weapon. But he says the taser, the smooth. taser is the dangerous weapon. Well, but everything's smooth until the wrestling, then he grabs a taser and he starts running. My point is this, when he turns to fire the taser, 
a taser is a, a dangerous weapon, not a deadly weapon. Uh, you know how tasers function as a police officer because you're trained on it. I believe that was the second discharge uh, of that taser. But even if it was the first discharge, it has to recycle. The average person has no idea on how to uh, recycle and how to fire a taser a second time. Uh, now, there is a popping sound. And what he's probably going to say is he just reflex when he heard that pop. You know, in that instant, and remember, these things happen in a matter of seconds. This isn't, we rewind the tape over and over and over again and have still shots and all that, but the reality is on the street, it's happening in real time. He instinctively drew his weapon and he, and, and he fired. I don't think it was a justified shooting, don't get me wrong, but I think that there's an argument there, and I think it's going to be difficult. You couple that with the enormous publicity this has been given, it's going to be hard to even find a jury that has not somehow been, you know, exposed to this in a way that could uh, prejudice them in some way. And if you get a change of venue, uh, that could really have a dramatic impact on the outcome of the case. I think the worst fact, I, look, there's no question that Mr. Brooks, Rayshard, changed the dynamic here for the worse when he decided to resist. Of course, officers have the duty of de-escalation. They're supposed to be trained. That's still my pet peeve in this situation. I think it's a window into a reality that our police officers in general need more training in how to deal people with people without using their weapons. Um, but when he is running away, as Joey says, you're not even supposed to use your taser. When someone's running away, you're right. supposed to use your radio, let alone a weapon. And the detail of him kicking Mr. Brooks, if a jury believes that he kicked the guy when he right. was on the ground and said, I got him, it's going to change a formation of what his intent was and what was in his mind. And that's when things will get very dangerous for this weapon, because let's be honest, the people have to be aware it's a higher standard when it comes to police in making this case. We'll see how it goes. Joey, Charles, I got to jump. I'm out of time. But this conversation will definitely be continued to both of you, men I look up to and I appreciate and I rely on. Happy Father's Day. Thank you uh, for being the kind of men uh, that make our children better for you having the presence in their lives. And thank you for being a presence in my own. God bless and be well. Same to you, Chris. Same to you. The Trump campaign. I don't know what else you can call the inverted triangle. I am in no rush to introduce more animus into our society. I swear to everything that matters to me. But this inverted triangle is a symbol of hate. And it was put in an ad by the campaign and then they have the audacity to fight with Facebook and the other, other platforms for silencing speech. Why would you have anything that can be confused with a Nazi legacy on your own political material? Why? And why would Trump defend it? Next. The Trump re-election campaign is facing backlash over an ad that was removed by Facebook for violating Facebook's policy against organized hate. Think about that for a second. Facebook removed an ad by the campaign for the president of the United States for violating its policy against organized hate. Here's the ad. It attacks the far left and Antifa. Nothing wrong with doing that. Good for them. But the upside down triangle, that is a symbol that was used by Nazi Germany to mark political prisoners inside concentration camps. Do you see it? Do you realize that it is identifiable? Do you realize that it has no other significance? 
in our political culture other than that? Now, the Trump campaign is denying they were trying to make a Nazi reference. Instead, they say that that symbol is affiliated with Antifa. Now, we've seen images of Antifa activists. I have not seen any wearing or holding anything with an inverted triangle symbol. By the way, anti-fascists are the ones who fight the Nazis. Okay. Also, the campaign ad never identifies the symbol as associated with Antifa. So if that's why you did it, why didn't you say it? How are people supposed to know? No matter how you feel about Mr. Trump, whether you support him or not, you have to agree that this was wrong. And the best indication that this was intentional is that the campaign offers no apology. Trump has criticized Facebook in the past. They don't want social media companies deciding what is or isn't appropriate to post. Okay. But look at this ad again. We can all have legitimate arguments about Facebook and the other platform providers. Facebook should have never had to make this call. Who thinks to do this? Who thinks that this can ever be healthy in this country at this time? More division? Toxicity? A Nazi-aligned symbol? Exacerbating problems we already have. Trump and his campaign should know better. My fear, your fear, should be that they do know what they're doing. And it's intentional. Now, this president also has bigger problems because in this country, we don't play that kind of dog whistle. We play with law and we play with the Supreme Court. And that's what matters. And in that, we have to bring in Ken Cuccinelli uh, because he is going to answer questions for us about this big ruling from the Supreme Court today on DACA and what is to come next. Message from the highest court in the land and the land of social media today. This president does not get his own rules. Let's hear the defense from someone on the inside, acting deputy secretary of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Good to see you. It's been a minute. Hey, Chris. So Good to be with you. seems to me that when I looked at the dissent uh, in this case, uh, because, you know, look, not to bury people in the weeds, but this was basically we're not going to rule on DACA, whether it's good policy or bad policy. You guys have to do this the right way. We feel you didn't address um, the right kinds of aspects you needed to go back and figure it out. But then all of the justice pretty much agreed on a couple of things. This isn't about Trump being uh, making racist comments during the campaign. Uh, and really, the lawmakers should figure this out. And this is a political dispute. So let's jump to that. Do you guys have a plan on how to make good on the president's promise to protect and help dreamers? Because if you just remove the current protections and you don't replace it with any, they're going to be lost. So uh, if you remember, Chris, almost two years ago now, the president was negotiating with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to address mm -hmm. this problem. And they pulled out of that discussion when a district court um, froze the case in place at the time mm -hmm. and they thought they'd bought time. And so they let these 640,000 folks just kind of stew in their political juices. And the president wanted to finish that discussion. And that, that opportunity was gone when those two leaders from Congress walked away. So this has been attempted once. 
The president was committed to that discussion. Um, the Supreme Court, as you noted, Chris, in part of the part of the opinions, there were five opinions today, Mm -hmm. um, they said Congress should be dealing with Mm -hmm. this should be done via laws. President Obama himself said he didn't have the authority to do this Mm -hmm. over 20 times before he actually went ahead and did it. It was a stopgap. That's where the leadership to get to legislation. Yeah, that's where the leadership comes in, though, uh, Ken. The reason that they left it alone is because it left the protections in place and it left the forbearance in place. If the president wants to help them and do it with heart and say all the other things that I keep playing for the audience that he said, it's on him to lead. It's on him to make something happen. He's never brought it up again. It just seems like the urgency for him was in saying that Obama was wrong and not doing anything that's right. Yeah, you're Chris, you're you're looking the other way at the people who left the table and you're blaming the one guy who stayed at the table. And uh, is there another opportunity? The House passed uh, DACA protections last year and talking and. Ken, we both know that, I heard right? Senator Durbin talking in terms of finishing this. Well, but um, who runs the well, Senate? Well, you got to deal with the House and the Senate. Who runs the Senate? you got to deal with the House and the Senate. And Has the Senate the taken it up? Was doing. Has Mitch for said that he's taken votes, up McConnell? For 60 votes, you got to talk to Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. You so, think you're going to have to get to uh, 60 votes on this? This isn't on a this? budget. It's legislation. This is going to be about a simple majority. And hold Barack on, hold Obama on, had 60 votes and he didn't do it. I know. I know he didn't. He couldn't get it done. So he had to do a stopgap measure. And the president said he'd do better, this president, Trump. And he hasn't. Now, the House passed it. He has never said to Mitch McConnell, take it up. He's never said work out a deal. We both know that. So what was this lawsuit well, he, about? Well, he didn't tell other people to try to work out the deal, Chris. He got to the table himself. And it was Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi who tanked it, not no, Donald they, but Trump. But they didn't tank so it because today, of DACA. You know, we he get could have done this today. all by himself, Ken. We both know the reality. No, if he no, wanted he to could, do DACA no, he alone, could not. he could The Supreme Court just said, no, it's illegal. And the dissent said it's illegal. And oddly no, enough, no, you're the talking majority about the executive wouldn't order. address whether I, it was legal I agree. Or not. I agree with everything you just said. The executive order, not the way to do it. Now, they didn't really get to it. But my suspicion is that it's going to be where your head is. What I'm saying is the president could have gone to the Democrats and to the Republicans and said, just DACA, do DACA, and I will sign it. I want to help these people. I want to get them out of the mix. They're not our problem with immigration. So, so Chris, so Chris, I, I hear you changing the terms. So No, I never changed uh, anything. You know, this continue. is part of a bigger, this is a bigger part of a, of a broader immigration challenge that has gone unmet. For many years. And, um, and, and I don't think it's reasonable to just say, go do this one thing. Congress never just does Why? that. So we've got that's to solve exactly, a, yeah, but that's exactly what the president did. Here. The president did exactly that. He went all in on a wall. He went all in on one aspect of a complicated situation when he could have done anything if he wanted to. He picked No, that was that. not that is not what happened. DACA was on the table. The wall was on the table. Other elements of the immigration but system were on the wall. table. But he did the wall. He didn't do DACA um, as a standalone. And they were standalone. making progress. Will he do it now, Ken? Will he say, do DACA yeah, because... Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't answer that. But that's your job. I can't answer that. I full, I, what I can tell you is he'll, he'll go back to the table. He was, he was willing to do that. He said that at the time. DACA alone. It was the other side that walked away and stayed away. DACA alone. They walked away and stayed away. I heard you the first time. We're going to solve immigration problems just as this president, just as this president has continued to do. But I'm sorry, Chris, you and I don't get to set those terms. If we're going to solve immigration problems, we're going to solve immigration Will problems. Will he do the Supreme DACA Court, alone? The Supreme Court did, the Supreme Court did Congress's work for them by buying several years or a year 
and that's it. They just delayed. They didn't solve. And the, the Thomas dissent said, this court is doing Congress's yes, job that that's Congress right. isn't All doing. All agreed, agreed. The president was at the table. The president, the president walked was away at the table also because there was more to added to it than willing, DACA. He did not walk away, Chris. No, sir. Listen, let's do it he this way. He was not the one who walked let's, away. Let's do it this way. he's willing to talk. Let's do it this way. He's willing to talk. Good. Um, let me ask you something. Do you believe that dreamers are Americans? Uh, no, they're illegal aliens. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. And that's, well, that's why that's, well, you're that, not going to get a DACA stands for deferred action. Yeah. DACA yeah. stands for deferred yeah. action. The action deferred is deportation. Yeah, you I don't know. Deport and Americans. you know why they deferred hey, I'm it, I'm just Ken? being a lawyer here. I, no, you're not being a lawyer. You're not being a lawyer. Because yes, political no, leverage. Because equity. Political leverage. No, but here, Barack Obama and the Democrats have been using no, these no, 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 political no, no. leverage. Yeah, and, and Otherwise, why? they would have solved and, the problem and why, Ken, when they had the vote. Why did they use it? Because it's a question of humanity. It's not about the law. It's about humanity. And if Using you want to use the law, remember this humanity? line, Professor? Equity abhors a forfeiture. These people have been here their entire lives. They go to school. They have jobs. They pay taxes. They've never known any other country. And you're going to say they're not Americans because they're American in every way except something they had nothing to do with, Chris, that's which is why, how they came into the that's country. That's why everybody's willing to come to the table. That's why the president is willing to come to the table. You just called them illegal aliens. Too. That's why but you're not, not getting it done. But they are, I, I did that. that was, because that's what they are. You asked me, and that's the answer it's to the question. It's not what they are. I, the, the entire court They are Americans in every way. They're not just some legal term that is pejorative no, and they try grew to make up them in another. America. They're just like you and they me. They grew up in America. They grew up in America, but the, the whole legal issue here is that they are not, in fact, This is about American politics. Citizens. Like That's you said before, it's not case. about the law. It's never yes. been about the law. It's That's about right. doing the right thing. And if the president That's wants right. to, and it started I will cover all the it. Way back. I'll it, cover it every day. If he comes for DACA alone, Ken, this is what I'll say. You are welcome on here all the time. You know that. I, I love having you on the show. I if, appreciate if that. If they're going to do DACA... And that's what he wants to do. And that's the proposal. You come on. I'll give you 20 minutes to make your case on what you guys want to do on DACA and why Congress <laughs> should take it up. I got to jump right now, but I wish you the best for Father's Day. And thank you to make the case. Good to be with you, Chris. It. God bless and be well. Um, listen, here we test, but I don't do it with animus because uh, it gets you nowhere. But the dreamers are Americans in every way except a piece of paper. And the word illegal alien, I know you can find it in the law. All right. But we also know what it describes. Lots of words have been used in the law. We've changed them over time. And this is one that needs to change as well. Miami's mayor tonight is uh, quoting him, extremely concerned about the rise in coronavirus cases in Florida uh, and fears that his city may be the next epicenter. The state of Florida just shattered a record for reported cases. And we know why. They're not doing what the states that got hit hard and made it through did. So what is their action plan? One of the few officials, in fact, you'll be shocked how hard it was to get somebody. I'm going to start with that next because it's part of the problem. So the latest projections show that Florida has, quote, all the markings of the next large epicenter of coronavirus transmission. More than 3,000 new cases were reported just today. That's the highest single day number in this pandemic in that state. We wanted answers. So we make phone calls. That's how we do the job. Take a look at all the leaders who said no or just blew us off, starting with Governor DeSantis. The only thing that he seems more nonchalant about than COVID is coming on to make his case 
about why he's doing what he does with COVID. All those people won't come on. And you know what that tells you in my business is that people are quiet when they don't want to be held to account. But one official did say yes, knowing how important this is. And that is Pinellas County Commissioner Ken Welch. Thank you very much for taking the opportunity. Thank you for having me, Chris. Why do you believe the state is struggling more recently? Well, we're obviously seeing a resurgence in COVID in Pinellas County, Tampa Bay, and throughout the state of Florida. Uh, it comes down to, to behavior. Uh, folks are not socially distancing. Um, and I think it comes from the messaging, the mixed messaging we've seen uh, from highly uh, high elected officials uh, at the federal level and at the state level that, you know, it was mission accomplished uh, and then it's back to business as usual. And that's absolutely not the case. In the last eight days, uh, Pinellas County has registered more than a thousand cases. Thirty eight percent of all of our cases were registered in the last eight days uh, and we're down to fifty nine uh, ICU units. Uh, we do have a, a real issue with resurgence uh, in Florida. Now, the plus and the minus. On the plus side to your argument, we had three young women on uh, the other night uh, from Jacksonville, and they went out to a bar there, and I asked them, why didn't you wear the mask? Why did you think you could go into a place like that and it'd be okay? Smart, educated people, okay? Uh, and mm -hmm. they said, well, you know, we'd been told it was all right, and we didn't know a lot of people who'd had it, so we figured we're just going to this one place. It's where we always go, so we'll go. 16 sure. of them got sick, seven of the people there. Um, do you believe that the mixed messaging is what? Are you talking about from the president or more specifically in your state and how so? Well, I mean, you've heard from the beginning that this was a hoax, that it's like the flu, that it'll, it will magically go away. Uh, and then recently here in the state of Florida, you know, Governor DeSantis talked about how much better we did than other states. And I think folks hear that without knowing the science behind it and think, okay, we've gotten past that. It's not a real issue anymore. And I can tell you, as we move through reopening, uh, I've seen personally um, just crowds of folks at, at bars, at restaurants, uh, all over the Pinellas County. And folks that were tuned in knew two or three weeks ago over the Memorial Day weekend that we would see this result in a couple of weeks. What I'm concerned about is what we're going to see two or three weeks down the line when uh, the impact of the second phase where bars were more fully open, restaurants, youth sports, fitness centers were all opened up. Uh, I think we're going to see that coming up. And so we've got a storm coming uh, and we need to act now. And I think one of the few tools that we have uh, to deal with an airborne pathogen is to stop folks from inhaling infected air. Uh, that came from our medical director today. And one of the best ways to do that uh, is uh, facial coverings. Wear a mask, try to social distance, be smart about where you go, do the minimum you have to in terms of moving around. It's not that complicated, but it gets complicated when people mix the message. Commissioner, I appreciate you coming on. I wish more of Thank the officials would. I'm not holding you responsible for that. Um, Thank you. And you are welcome to come back as the situation evolves to let people know what they need to know. God bless and be well. It. Happy Father's Day. Same to you, sir. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back. Got to expose the bad, but we got to embrace the good, my brothers and sisters. Tonight's American Chicago singer, Colette Hawley. Listen to this. She's been singing at senior centers for years. But when COVID-19 hit, she couldn't go anymore, right? So she couldn't go in. So she went up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
How about that, huh? Her and a cherry picker. She did just that with the help of that 30-foot lift right there to the windows of the seniors' rooms. God bless her for doing that. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with D. Lemon right now. Tootie Fruity. Oh, Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> and we just, um, we just lost little Richard, who I know. was, you know, who did that. One of my favorites, as you know. I have a big painting of little Richard in my home that I'm, that I'm sure you've seen. Um, that we need some good news. We needed some good news in someone who is an American, as you say, because uh, there's so much craziness going on in the world. There is so much upheaval, Chris. I, have you? Well, I've lived longer than you. Yes. And I have <laughs> just by two months. Whatever. <laughs> I have never seen so much upheaval. Usually there are things that happen. There's one big event, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe two big events. But there's so much upheaval in the world. And then we have an administration now that is in denial of a lot of it. Well, not just in denial, uh, but the lie, deny, defy, and the emphasis on division, what we got here, my friend, is fragile. Yeah. And when you grab it and tear it at the seams and they're not like you and these people shouldn't be here and this mm -hmm. is wrong and I should have all the power and I'm angry and might makes right, things can get dicey. And that's where we are. It's not one thing. It's a lot of things because things here are fragile. We haven't had anybody try to bring us together in a long time. Yeah. And I say <clears throat> it's not denial. Mostly it is, but mostly it's intentional deception. And listen, none of us should be here except the Native American. Right? True. So if you, want, if you want to look at the world in that way. So we'll talk more. Have you see one. the symbol they put on that campaign? Yeah, I talked about it today on, on, um, on Wolf's show. Unbelievable. No and, good explanation for that, my friend. And they should know better, if you're gonna, especially if you're going to be in a position where you represent the most powerful person in the world, the leader of the free world, you should know better, unless, again, it is intentional. And if you're going to say you put it there because it's somebody else's symbol, why wouldn't you say whose it is? Exactly. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'll All right, see I'll you see this you. weekend. I love you, Don Lemon. All right, you as well, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Have a good night and a safe trip home. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.